So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, I'm going to read what is really my aim this morning, which is to think of this passage in light of verses 16 and 17. So let me just read that. We'll read the other passages as we work through it. 16 and 17, and and then I want to pray for us one more time. Verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's pray one more time. Lord, We open your word this morning as we come as a people, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We do ask for your help. We may come uh, as tired people from much busyness around Christmas. We may be here this morning as those who uh, have a sad time around this time of year in light of uh, those who are not with us. Yet despite all that, we come as, as people who need to hear from you, and that's only from your word. I, I don't claim any cleverness. Lord, prevent that. We don't claim to be any great people, just a people who trust in your word. So would you use that for our good? And I don't simply mean just for a good time this morning, I mean for the good of each of us at this church, Crossway Church, in Christ's name, we ask this, amen. So God's work, God's judgment, and God's temple. Those are the the three things I want us to see from this passage, and this is an embarrassment of riches of things going on here. So I don't mean this to be exhaustive. I truly mean to think about this passage in terms of 16 and 17, do you not know that you are God's temple? Do you not know? Paul is kind of setting this big picture, and then we have these things that that work into it. So there's so, as I said, embarrassment of riches. You can look in this with uh, great detail in each passage, but that's the, the, the banner that I, in some ways I wave over this passage. So let's start with verses 5 through 11. Again, the three points, God's work, God's judgment, God's temple. So we're starting with God's work, verses 5 through 11. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. God's work. I wonder if any of you have ever heard of John Boyd. Uh, Many of our airmen have likely heard of John Boyd. I heard about this uh, guy. To my knowledge, he's not a believer, but an interesting fellow. 
He was a tactician. He was a pilot. Uh, they called him 42nd Boyd. Uh, I believe it was 40. Yeah, 40 is not 30. 42nd Boyd for the uh, claim he had that he could defeat any opponent within 40 seconds. Uh, he was, by his bi- biographer's view, which any biographer may be biased, but the single greatest contributor to the Air Force than any airman in history. He, uh, they said literally planes, and I'm not a pilot, so you know, check with some of these guys to, to, to find out. Planes were designed around the tactics that John Boyd created. He was totally committed to the mission of the Air Force. And early on, this is what makes John Boyd fascinating. Early on, John Boyd decided I will not be a brown noser nor a backstabber. I'm going to be totally committed to the mission of the Air Force. Now, again, his contributions were considered huge. The, uh, many of the people who come here go through the uh, class where they learn how to be a pilot and things like the OODA loop. That's a whole method for how you analyze tactics and what to do. This all came from John Boyd. One said John Boyd's contributions are compared to like Sun Tzu from the historic uh, period in terms of thinking, in terms of military strategy. Uh, Uncompromising guy. Contributions huge, and yet relative to his contribution, he never rose within the ranks to to the status you would think of a person who made that level of contribution. It never happened. He wasn't gonna, as we said, he, he was committed to his ideals, was not a brown noser, not a backstabber. And so when promotions would come up, frequently inconsequential people would be given <laughs> that position because uh, they, they would do what they were asked to do. Yes, men maybe would get the job, John Boyd would not. John Boyd was undeterred. He stayed in his career, and that's why he made a difference. And, and here's why I think about John Boyd and why I think about this in relation of Paul. John Boyd had this kind of famous speech. I'm not sure who, who if he was talking to Airmen or what. But he said, uh, and again, I, I get out of my notes and I get off and who knows where. So let me, let me make sure I get this right. John Boyd was trying to explain to them to, to be somebody in life. No, no, let me back that up. This is important. To be somebody or to do something. In life, there's often a roll call, and you have to make a decision to be or to do. Which way will you go? And the reason he said way is because he was speaking in terms of analogies, and he said, in this hall, you can go this direction, and you can be somebody. You know, you, you can rise through the ranks. You can be a yes man. You can get with the program. You can be somebody great, or you can go this way and you can do something. You can make a huge contribution, but you may never be anybody. You may be like John Boyd. You may get passed over. It may go to the uh, yes guy, but you will accomplish something, and that was John Boyd's mission. He totally was willing to put aside being kind of a, a great man in exchange for uh, being somebody. To be somebody or to do something, which do you want to do? I thought about that when when we're thinking about Paul, right? Paul, here in Corinth, there's this 
thinking going on there. I followed Paul. I follow Apollos. And there was this the, uh, wrapped up in these men, right? And, and uh, a greatness that they had. And Paul is trying to say, again, kind of going back to verse 16, do you not know? Guys, can you see the bigger picture? I am nothing. Apollos is nothing. You're, 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 you're following the wrong hall. You're trying to be somebody. We want to do something. I don't think humility is entirely the right word. Does it require humility? Sure, but it's actually having a bigger view of something that's that's so much greater than yourself. What is Paul? What is Apollos? We are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So, two analogies. Again, we're thinking of God's work. 5 through 11, the two analogy, God's field, we have God's building, and in both, believers are working. They are working. They're, they're either tending in the first analogy, uh, planting, watering. The other, they're building. The point is it's God's work. That's the, the point I'm trying to make. And there is an interesting juxtaposition. You keep reading through verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Though neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Only God who gives the growth. So on the one hand, we say, hey, yeah, it, it's, it's not what, about what we're doing at all, right? This is, this is only about what God's doing. And yet, on the other hand, as he continues, you will receive wages according to your labor. We are God's fellow workers, God's field, God's building. So there's one sense it's not about us at all. And on the other hand, you are the uh, working right alongside God himself, which Are those things at odds, maybe seemingly? The point is that God does give the growth, as he says. What we are doing, what we do here, is intensely important, and at the same time, it's not about us at all. The work is absolutely God's work. I wonder if uh, the Corinthians, kind of the, the tensions there, does it belie the tension that we may have to feel like men, gifted men, skilled men like Paul or uh, John MacArthur, other, other men who the Lord used mightily, that, that somehow that, that these men, these gifted men, and, and yes, we can thank God for them, and we're glad they work hard. We're glad John Randolph prepares for a sermon, and, and, and it's, that's important. And yet, it has to be a full faithfulness in God's willingness to use God's means. <laughs> when we say that Jesus reigns, I think there's a tension to think what we're doing is we're putting up signs we're going to try to get him elected to a seat with five other bureaucrats. And the reality is, is Jesus reigns now. And Paul is, is pointing, he's painting this bigger picture of the work that God is doing 
that we absolutely should take part in. We should. This is not a uh, condemnation of believers working. It's not a condemnation of, of God, uh, of God's people putting forth effort in what they're doing. In fact, uh, it's, it's that they do that, as Paul uses other, other places, running races, and, and we, we do, we strive hard, and yet with no confidence in ourselves. This is absolutely about God's work. Let me look at something else. The two pictures Paul gives. There's a, a really interesting book by G.K. Beale on uh, the mission of the church as the temple. I think that's the, the name of the book. But it seems like Paul is making two different analogies, right? Kind of, I'm going to give you one picture, and then I'm going to give you another picture. And between the two, right, you're, you're getting more clarity as I give you these uh, two separate analogies. So the analogy of the uh, garden, and then there's the analogy of the building. And G.K. Beale says, because again, we're, we, we don't think like Paul. Paul was an elite, right? Even, even thinking back to Boyd, uh, Paul was an elite. He was a Jew who cared about being somebody. He throws it all away. He throws it all away to become nobody, to be in prison, to be shipwrecked, to be nobody, to be a servant, as he says, because he wants to be involved in what his God is doing, but he still has this uh, Jewish training in his mind. So whether intentionally, or G.K. Beale says, even it's just so ingrained in Paul that gardens and temple uh, temples, they go together. That's, that's so throughout the Old Testament. So, uh, for example, if you look in the Old Testament, First uh, Kings describes the temple with these things, open flowers, palm trees, pomegranates in rows. Uh, on top of the pomegranates are lilies. The courtyard has gourds, lily blossoms, uh, on and on, where we see garden-like images around the temple, in the temple, it's throughout. And, of course, what is maybe more familiar to us is the temple is described, as he has here, with jewels, with gold, with, with things that show great worth. Another place where we see this, although uh, it's maybe not directly related in the same way, but we still see these things equated, if you want to look at Psalm 92, Psalm 92, or you can just listen if you don't want to turn there with me either way. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. This is maybe more in the light of, of the believer, but you see both things present. Verse 12, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. There you see both the, the courts of God, uh, the house of the Lord, and at the same time, the, the plants that are growing in the people, and they stay uh, fresh. The idea of God's work being one that this is totally God's, and even here, even in these analogies, of course, when he thinks of God's work, he does think of the temple. He does think of God's church as we get to the New Testament. So one, five through 11, this is God's work. Two, God's judgment, starting in verses 12 
through verse 15. Back in 1 Corinthians 3. Your wife always gives you helpful uh, criticism. She, 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 she said, just make sure people know where you're at. So, 1 Corinthians, back in 3, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we had the work. We had the garden in the temple, which in fact actually may be the same thing, a temple garden, which again, it's referring to God's presence in the Old Testament. It's referring to a restoration of Eden. That's why, of course, you have garden imagery in the temple, uh, the, the reestablishment of God in nature and God dwelling with his people. So that has happened, and, and uh, in, still in the importance of the people, this is what we're doing, Corinthians. This is what's happening among you. It's not about me. And now we get to God's judgment where God is saying, Because you're working, there is a judgment coming. Who is going to be judged? Now, to some degree, there may be particular application for pastors, of course. Paul, of course, meant this for teachers there in Corinth. At the same time, there is phrases like 13. Each one's work will become manifest. That could apply to each pastor that could apply to each Christian. I think it's fair to say this applies to to all members of a church, that our work as a people will be judged. And it will be judged, first of all, which may seem obvious, but we want to make note, our effectiveness, our faithfulness, the uh, how we see this church ultimately is based on how God sees this church, not any worldly standards. Hopefully that part is obvious, but what's further is God does tell us, I I will tell you how I will judge you. You will be accountable only to me, not not to how popular you are, how large you are, how charismatic uh, the people of Goldsboro find your church or America or whatever, but God will judge us And furthermore, God says, this is how I will judge you. I will judge you corporately. Because the judgment is, of course, by fire, right? The the church will come and, and we will see what materials were used. Is the church regenerate? In other words, is the church compiled of Christians? Beale notes that uh, hay, as we see a church, uh, even thinking back to the idea of work, this is actually not applying to the false teachers that may exist in our time, in their time, whether you're talking about the prosperity preachers or or people who are just willing to 
to say and do anything to, to get a crowd. Of course, the Bible condemns this, but this in some way may actually apply to people who are seeking to, to honor the Lord in their work. They're seeking to do good work. They may actually build on the rock of Christ. They're not way out, you know, out in the shed uh, built on mud or, you know, on sand. They're trying to build on the rock of Christ. This, this could actually be people who are trying to be faithful, and yet there is nothing about their work that is truly lasting. It will not stand because it's actually not compiled. Uh, the, the church that is being built is not made of regenerate people. God, God is a God of order. So, and, and, and so much you can see maybe particularly in this day and age by things like sin, uh, we, we see it compared to lawlessness and things like this because we are, reject all authority. But God ordains uh, things in our lives to bring order because God is a God of order. So we have the family. And as much as we may kick against any type of authority, that authority, that, that structure is for our good. And in the same way, the church is for our good, but the church is to truly be something that brings people to Christ, truly, not, not in any veneer, not in any hay-like structure that will not actually persist. And the goal of the church the goal of the church is to actually have us ready for this testing, that each of us be ready for this judgment. Another way, even going back to Paul, Paul, this elite, this guy who totally thinks Old Testament, he, he likely has in mind Malachi. So this is a, a you won't have to turn there, but let, let me just give you some of Malachi that is very similar to what's being said here about the testing of the church in Corinth. This is from Malachi 3 and 4. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. But who can endure the day of his coming and can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, and he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that he may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and every evildoer will be chafe. And the day that is coming that will set them ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. The, the likely idea here that Paul had was that not all of Israel is Israel, not all in the church, even built on Christ, if it's not truly converted, that will not last. And as a church, the, the, the goal that Paul is holding up is we're not just judged on how are you doing, right? Because he says there at the end, if anyone's work is burned up, he may be saved and yet his work may perish. The, the, the people who were a part of that ministry, which I don't know what that means, so I'm not part of people of that church, James has said, how many pastors are truly converted and are uh, leading flocks of which most will go to hell? And that should totally make us 
sober-minded about what we do here on Sunday morning. This is not window dressing. This is not kind of uh, uh, how do we get a, a genteel polish on ourselves for the culture around us. Uh, this is crucially important. God intends to use this means for his people that they actually make it through that refiner's fire. And as a church, we will be held accountable for how we do one to another. Uh, let me have a sip of water here. I'm sorry. <laughs> We have focused on the preached word of God here at Crossway. That, that's something that uh, if you've tasted other places, it's hard to go to a church where there's not a high view of Scripture. And, and we absolutely want to have that. Absolutely. I'm so thankful for John and, and his pulpit ministry to us. But the pulpit ministry is not an end in itself, Right. The, the preached word is not to be, um, hey, so glad my church preaches the word, you know. Uh, we're not like those crazy people down the road who, you know, are, are doing whatever they do. Uh, man, I'm glad I'm not like those people. Uh, we really preach the word. Yeah, I am glad. But the point is that the word of God serve us as people. The, the church is served by Paul. Paul uses this very imagery. I am serving you. The point is not that I and Apollos are great. The point is God uses his word. God uses his servants. God uses saints, normal, ordinary saints, to make ready each of us for the judgment that is to come. And as a church, that is the reason why the preached word is important. There's no better, there is no other way. The church is Plan A, there's no plan B, right? It's Cortez on the, on the beach where you burn the boats. The church is the way we do it, but that doesn't mean faithfulness as a church is some kind of substitute for any genuine faith on the part of its members. We don't want to build with hay. We don't want, we don't want, you know, healthy churches are important. Good churches are important, but again, it, 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 it has to genuinely be because that is what we are as a people, not a mere methodology that is better than, than, a, than a godless generation that even exists in the craziness of, uh, of the church outside of here. God's work, and this is God's judgment. Finally, God's temple. Hopefully all of this, hopefully you can see all of this is in light of, of the foundational aspect of God using his people. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I don't think I've said this, but of course this was addressed to the congregation. This is not, uh, we do see in other passages, your body is a temple where individuals uh, take seriously um, how God dwells with them. But in this passage, you are that temple is referring to the people gathered at Gar uh, Corinth. The church is the temple of God. We've said before, as we read God's word, as we, we have it preached, we, we actually believe God does speak. And I don't mean this in, in a, uh, any type of Pentecostal, extra-biblical way. I mean, through God's word, 
He dwells with his people through their gathering. 